Thank you for joining us today for the Restoration Church Podcast. This week we are continuing our series where we talk about the vision and mission of restoration. And this week we are talking about missional community groups. Enjoy. We'll get it set up here. There we go. Good morning. How are we doing? Good deal. A little rainy out there, but it's still good morning to worship Jesus. Um, we are going over what our vision is for 2017, right? We're trying to reshape and realign ourselves together to know what we're shooting for, right? Because if we don't know where we're going, what's the point of coming, right? So um, last week we talked about depth groups and how important it is for us to be engaged in intentional discipleship through relationships that lead to intimacy with God and intimacy with one another, that... uh, creates an environment for confession of sin so that you can be healed, that creates a place where you can study scripture and apply it to your lives, and it gives you a community where people love you deeply and walk with you in your suffering. Today, we're going to talk about the second aspect of uh, our mission and our vision in this city, and that's missional communities. And we're going to kind of see where did that first come from, uh, what are some benefits of it, what are some things we have to guard against, and then what are some steps we need to take. So, as a people... When we gather here on Sunday mornings, that it's just the start of our, of our mission, right? It's, it's, in some ways, it's a pause to our mission. Um, over the snowpocalypse, we called it our locker room, right? This is where we come back as a team, and we redirect, we refresh, we learn the plays, and then we go out into the city, we go out into our, our workplaces, into our various environments, and then we live out the gospel every day. Missional communities are just the, that. It's a, a, a community of people that are believers, and it can even have non-believers in it, people who are not connected with Christ, that are on mission for the glory of God in the city, right? We have, there's a specific purpose. Not because we have some really cool new way to do church. We don't do missional communities because of that. Not because they're, an, but, sorry, but because they're an essential part of us following Jesus in everyday life, we need to be in community and on mission. So hundreds of years from now, when no one remembers the name Restoration Church, when the, the, the Blue Note Grill is still kicking because it's a great business, so, but, but Restoration Church is long and gone, we're all dead, still people will be living in missional communities in some fashion or some way, right? Because guess what? They've been doing it from the very beginning. So over 2,000 years, they've been living in missional communities, and we're just joining in what they're doing. Missional communities are about faithfulness to Jesus, not the church, not to me, not to a pastor, not to a philosophy or an idea, but about faithfulness to Jesus. So today I want to look at, first of all, where did the first missional community come from? So if you have your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to see that the, the missional community that developed in the very beginning was a sign that the gospel had been believed. That's the first point you want to take away. Missional communities are a sign that the gospel has been believed. So once you believe, eventually a missional community will appear. It's the direct fruit of the people who have repented of sins and believed in Jesus Christ. It happened in the book of Acts, right? At the birth of Christian church, people believed the gospel for the first time, and then missional communities began to form. There wasn't a strategy session. There wasn't wasn't like a a handbook that everyone read beforehand. It was just a natural product of believing, believing the gospel. In Act 1, we see that Jesus had risen from the dead. He had met with his disciples, and he said, go and wait in Jerusalem. And then after they waited for a little while, the Holy Spirit came, right? And you remember that day? That was Pentecost, the day that the Spirit of God descended on the apostles. And there was fire dancing over their heads, and they began speaking in different languages that they didn't know to share the gospel. And then Peter, Peter got up, 
And Peter started proclaiming the truth of the gospel. Right? Um, <clears throat> through the death of Christ, through the resurrection of Christ, there was good news for people. So Peter said this, Men of Israel, this is in verse 22, Acts 2, 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourself know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You skip down to verse 36. Let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter proclaimed what God had been doing through Jesus. He proclaimed the gospel, that Jesus was from God. It was obvious. They had seen this man heal people. They had seen him raise others from the dead. They had seen the lame walk and the blind see. They had heard the story of the kingdom of God coming in. There were other testimonies that he was Jesus, that he was Messiah, right? John the Baptist was testifying that he is Messiah. He was the promised one of God. A couple weeks ago, or last week actually, we saw that God affirmed this call that Jesus was God by transfiguring him on the mountain. And he was there with Moses and Elijah. And there was the confirmation that he was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He is the one we should listen to. He is the promised Messiah. So how did they respond to this? When they, when they heard this gospel, when they heard that Jesus was not just a man, but he was the Lord and Christ, according to God's perfect will and plan, how did they respond? Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Jesus and Peter and the rest of the disciples, and said to Jesus, sorry, said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 39. For the promise is for you and your children and for all those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And today where we're going to start focusing, 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. They heard the gospel. It cut them to their core. It, got, it, it kind of wrecked them a little bit. It messed them up. They were pierced with the inescapable truth that they could not reject God's Messiah. They couldn't just move on. They had to repent. They had to make a decision in that moment. Repent or reject. That was what they were faced with. Receiving Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, they got to receive the Holy Spirit, and in that day they were saved. Some of us have had this kind of experience. Some of us have, um, have heard a sermon or been with a group of people or went to a camp or had a friend come over one day and had dinner with you or, or you were just sitting with someone who loved you that was a Christian and they shared this gospel to you. Some of you haven't. Some of you have not had this experience of repentance and forgiveness and salvation. Some of us had to come to terms and today you might be here coming to terms with the fact that Jesus really is God. And then you repented of your sins, you trusted him for the first time. But once you believed then what? What was the, what was the product? Well, after you believed the gospel, what did you do next? Well, you, you were told probably read your Bible, pray, go to church, do service projects. Right? I mean, there, in, in simplifying it, there's probably a little more to it, but you, you got a to-do list, right? You got a spiritual to-do list. But is that all there is to being saved? 
Is that all that's supposed to naturally come from the salvation of Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit? I want to say no, it's not, right? There's something, something happened here between verse 41 and 42. Something happened. Let's face it, we live in a culture where not much changes, right? I mean, the, the way we've, at least when I was growing up, the way I learned what you do once you get saved is you go to a big event, you hear the gospel, somebody turns on some really emotional music, so you start to cry a little bit, and then somebody tells you, you're going to hell, and you're like, I don't want to go to hell, and they're like, no, you're going to hell if you don't repent, and I'm like, well, I'm going to repent, and so you, you go up and you confess yourself that I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus with everything, and then you go back and you fill out a card, and then that's it, right? Maybe somebody calls you. Maybe somebody sits down with you and starts to disciple you. Maybe you just start to attend church more. Maybe you get into a Sunday school class or you go to a Bible study at work. But there, there, there's something that's supposed to be more, right? But as a culture, I think we fail in a lot of ways to, to take the next step, which is verse 42. Unfortunately, not a lot changes for us. But look at verse 42. Look what happened to the early church. What happened when they believed, when there was no structure, when there was no church building, when there was no strategy? What happened? Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Keep going. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing it to the proceeds to all as any had need. And day after day, verse 36, 46, day after day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord continued to add to their number day by day those who were being saved. Repentance of sin and faith in this Jesus produced a new community. That was the next step. There was, a, there was a new devotion to one another. There was a new unity with one another. They didn't know each other before. They had all, many of them were from other places besides Jerusalem, right? So many of them had no clue who the neighbor was, right? Maybe they did, but they didn't know who they were. They, had, they met new friends. But they followed the same Jesus and suddenly they were brought together by the same gospel. They began to overlap their lives together in significant ways, eating meals together, spending time together, going to the temple daily with one another, selling their possessions and giving away what they had so that no one had need. They were radically generous and they were vulnerable. In order for people to know they had needs, they had to confess that something was wrong with their life. They, had, they, they, they were in need. That was a vulnerability. You, you might think, well, yeah, but Will, is a totally different world. Right? Back then, I mean, they, it, it was easier for them. They didn't have jobs like we have. They didn't have to keep up with the Joneses. They didn't have, you know, transportation issues or they didn't live so far apart from one another. It was, it was easier. It was more convenient. So we can't really apply what was happening then to today. I want to argue with you that there was nothing that sounds convenient about what they did. Nothing sounds convenient about selling all of your possessions and distributing it to people you've never met before just because they have need. Nothing sounds convenient about getting up day in and day out and having people in your home, according to this text. Nothing sounds convenient about day in and day out going to the temple together and worshiping. 
They did it. Something changed. When someone was coming over for dinner, they didn't just run down to the Kroger and, and pick up, you know, a, a rotisserie roasted chicken. No, there was blood and feathers everywhere, right? I mean, it, there, it was busy. It was complicated. It was inconvenient. I want to argue this, that there should be nothing in your life that's more disruptive to your comfort than the gospel of Jesus. There should be nothing in your life that's more dis- disruptive to your comfort than the gospel of Jesus. Remember, the gospel is a call to death, not a call to comfort. There's nothing convenient about it. And if the gospel of Jesus has not disrupted your life in some way, I want you to seriously contemplate what gospel did you believe. If the gospel produced perfect comfort and no challenge and, and, and a peace without suffering, What gospel did you believe? Because the gospel that I heard says, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Give of yourself. Love others as I have loved you. Lay down your life for your brother. What gospel did we believe? It's no wonder that everyone, that there was a a specific word in 42 through 47 that's laid out, and it's the word all. Right? These people were just stunned by the reality of what was happening around them because of the gospel. When's the last time in your life you were awed by what's happening by the gospel? I just want to ask that. They just met each other. They were experiencing a grace, a joy, a relationship with each other, and it was amazing. It awed them. There's a lot we can say to describe this first community, but there's one word in verse 42 that I want us to focus on. And it's the word devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They weren't checking things out, and if it didn't meet their needs, they'd just go to the next temple. They, weren't, they didn't come and, and get a little flavor. They didn't approach the gospel in this new community as consumers to get something out of it. They approached this as, a, as givers, as investors in a community, and they were giving of themselves. That's why they sold their possessions. That's why they had people in their homes. That's why they ate meals together. That's why they spent time together. That's why they went to the temple to worship together. They had a witness into the community. Remember it says, and they had a good reputation among all the people. Not just Christians. Not just people who were with them, but all people. They were, they were out living their lives. They were devoted to one another. Not to an organization, not to an institution, not to a philosophy of ministry. They were devoted to one another. It's a rare thing in our culture to find a group of people that are devoted to one another. Right? We, it's it's kind of natural for us in everything we see, everything we're taught, everything we learn about finances and planning for the future. Everything, everything about our culture says, silo yourselves. Get your home, get your family, protect your future Bring it around, right? I mean, like, and, and there's, there's wisdom in protecting your future, but we get so disconnected from one another because of the way our culture acts. And it teaches us to separate ourselves. We learn how to do that with our emotions and our struggles, right? Some of us learn growing up, you don't talk about the hard things. You don't go in and say, What's good, that, what family business is family business, it stays home, we don't talk about stuff like that. Don't, don't talk about a struggling marriage because then people will start to judge you and they'll start thinking negative things about us. So we, we just keep that at home. Don't talk about being depressed. Nobody wants to hear that. 
Only people want to hear the good news. It's important to remember that this community, although it was very devoted, it also was messed up. It had its issues. It wasn't perfect, it was just devoted. Right? This community wasn't perfect, it was just devoted. They had plenty of conflict. They had unmet expectations. There were hurt feelings. There was difficulty. People had needs, right? So it cost someone something to meet those needs, right? In verse, in chapter five, that same community uh, that was devoted to one another and was so amazing and, and there was so reason for all had a married couple who sold a field and then lied about what they got for it and then there was a consequence, right? They were lying to each other. In that same community, there was a group of widows who weren't getting fed because they were Hellenistic, right? They, they, they had a different background, a different perspective on things. So therefore, they weren't getting food distributed to them evenly as other people. So the apostles had to form the deacons, the table waiters, to go and to make sure that food was being distributed evenly. They were ethnically different. They were socially different. They weren't perfect. They were devoted. That's an ideal community. That's what we should shoot for. Not perfection, but devotion. Devotion through suffering. Devotion through difficulties. Devotion through hurt feelings. Devotion through challenge. The perfect community with no issues, no weaknesses, no sins, that's coming. It's called heaven, right? It's on its way one day. But here, if you're going to be a community, you're still going to get hurt and things will still be difficult. But the ideal community is when we are devoted to one another regardless. It's a group of people who can overcome pains and the discomforts that come with being in a missional community. What's even more incredible about this group is that they weren't just together for themselves, they had a mission, right? They had a mission for others' salvation. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In the midst of all the transition. In the midst of all the newness and the relationships and the adjustments they were making now that the gospel had brought them together in this, this community, they still had an outward focus for the salvation of others. Now, it, it would be easy when all this newness, you'd like, well, let's just, you know, like, let's figure this out together and, and we'll, we'll, we'll make it work. And then, you know, then maybe we'll, then maybe we'll go outside and find some other people. But the community was not just for their benefit. Their community was formed by the gospel for the sake of those who weren't a part of it. The church is the only organization in the world that should exist for the people who are not a part of it. Right? We don't have stockholders that we have to meet their expectations. We don't, I mean, we we shouldn't be about us. We should be about everyone else that's disconnected from Christ. Your missional community is a picture or a physical representation of the gospel that you're sharing with others. When a person is hearing about a guy in, in heaven uh, named Jesus or a spirit that they can't see but that lives inside of us, about a good news about a sin that they don't even think they have, it's hard to believe sometimes. It's easy to be skeptic about the gospel, especially in a world where the scientific method is everything. You got to taste it. You got to touch it. You got to measure it. You got to see it. So a missional community, a community that's brought together with the purpose of reaching others with the gospel, becomes a a real image of what the gospel is. 
especially if it's formed by the gospel and not by a strategy or a plan. But it's a natural formation of the love of God for others. You can point to your missional community when your neighbors reject the gospel. You can say, this is what it's done in my life. It's a testimony to the truth of how people who sin against each other can forgive one another. It's, it's the testimony about how there's a support structure that brings peace in the midst of suffering. That we don't avoid suffering, we embrace our suffering as an opportunity to grow closer to Christ. It's a, vis, it's a visual representation of the gospel. It gives teeth, gives life to what you're saying with your words. Your missional community is that. It gives weight to the gospel you talk about. So here's the, that's a positive of being in a missional community, right? It gives weight to the gospel. But here's, here's one of the things we have to guard against. When you're in a missional community, when, when the gospel has brought you together with purpose to live, in this, live out in the city for others, the, the, natural, the natural inclination is to guard the benefit for yourself, right? The natural inclination is to say, to, is to get a flow, is to get a dynamic or a chemistry between other people, and then to be very concerned about someone disrupting that chemistry, right? It's one reason churches don't grow, because when new people come in, they're not welcomed, because you're interfering with my clique or my group. You're, you're messing with our chemistry and our flow. We, we've, we figured this out. Now, what are you doing here? When I was in college, there were a group of guys, when I was a sophomore, that we were getting together and we were doing Bible study together. We were praying together. We were wanting to, um, we looked around at the Campus Crusade ministry and we saw there was no male leadership. Right? All the girls were leading the Bible studies and all the girls were leading the prayer teams and all the girls were leading the worship team. There was no male leadership. And we were like, well, something's not right about that. We should probably step up. So four of us got together and we started praying. We started thinking about how we can encourage other people. And it started off with a great plan. Right? We studied theology. We studied the scripture. We encouraged one another. We prayed. And then uh, our discipler, one of the staff at Crusade said, hey, you guys, you're now juniors and they're incoming freshmen. Maybe you should bring some of these guys in. And we were all like, no, nah, that's all right. We're good. I mean, we got a good flow. Got a good plan going on here. You know, I mean, like, they know more about me than anybody else. I don't want some freshman coming in. They're immature, you know? We were missing the point of having a community with a purpose. Our purpose, if we wanted to in- increase male leadership and call guys to step up and start loving and serving one another, well, why didn't we start with the freshmen that were coming in? Why wouldn't we invest in them? And show them that college can be more than just going to class. Although it's very important to go to class if you're in college. But like, it can be more than that. You can, you can invest in the kingdom of God while you're in school. And you can step up and you can serve and you can love. You can participate and not just be a consumer. But we didn't do that. And we thought, yeah, we're, we're just going to stick with what we got. And about the end of the first semester, our, our community fell apart. Because we lost a vision. We lost a mission. We became inward focused, and so we started picking on each other. And we were still studying the Bible, but you know, our sin lives didn't change. We talked about our sin, but nothing changed. We, we, we talked about our struggles. Nobody helped us, right? I mean, we began to pick at each other and become mean to each other in a lot of ways. And so we, we you know, like, well, sorry, I got class. I'm not going to be there this week. And I, oh, I got class too. I'm not going to be there. With, oh, okay. So eventually it just fell apart. If, if, if we rally the horses, we rally the, the, the wagons, and we circle ourselves in as a church, 
or as a missional community, and we forget that our mission is for the salvation of others, we'll eventually implode and die. Because God did not save us, and the gospel did not lead us to circle the wagons. It led us to go out on the mission. It led us to be gospel sharers. We don't have mission. Our communities become the opposite of what they should be. They begin to feed our egos and hide our arrogance. It's easy to think that you're loving well when everyone that you're loving is just like you. We begin to realize that we weeded out other people that didn't meet our standards. We become toxic and stagnant and we suffer. The Christian community was designed for mission, to welcome the people who are far off from God. And that's why it says that they were being added to their number day after day after day because they had a good reputation with all the people. The mission was people. I want to focus on that for a second. People, not, per- not projects. People, not purpose, right? The mission is always people. Often we want to be about reaching our city. We talk about that at Restoration. We want to go out and reach our city for the gospel. And our city can become this nebulous idea that doesn't have a face and doesn't have a story. It's just, it's just a, an, or, it's an idea. And so in that idea, there might be parks. And we want to go revitalize a park so that neighborhood kids could come there. You know, it, maybe there's a, an organization we want to partner with. And so we focus so much on the organization, we forget that the organization is made up of people. Or there's a building that we want to see renewed, or we want to go build a house, and, or like refurbish an old house, and we forget that there's a family living inside the house. We can get focused on a project and forget the people. Projects don't feel shame. People do. Initiatives and ideas don't, don't have guilt. People have guilt. Buildings don't rebel against God. People rebel against God. Parks and and structures, no matter how beautiful they are, they can't lift their voices to sing the praises of God. People can. The Christian community is about having new people in your home, at the dinner table, attending your parties. We need to open up our lives, therefore, to the thousands of people in the city that will never come here on a Sunday morning, will never step foot in a Blue Note Grill. No matter how cool this location is, no matter how great the parking is, they'll never come. But you know where they will go? They'll sit down at the dinner table with you. Because they're not interested in what we're doing. They're interested in you. They're interested in your testimony, in your story. They want to hear it from you, not from the, the, the organization. They don't care about what we do on Sundays, but they care about you and about your community. They will want to hear about the Jesus has changed your life. So you notice that in verses 42 through 47, they went to the temple, but they ate meals in their own homes, right? I mean, they went to church. They went to worship Jesus together, but then they had people in their homes. So here's the issue for us to deal with today. Here's the issue. The the gospel saved and transformed lives and brought about community. That community had a mission. It was a natural progression of the sending of God to redeem his culture. Think about it this way. God 
sent Jesus, right, to save us from sin. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to empower us. And then the Holy Spirit sent the church into the world, right? It's the natural progression. We're sent people. We don't do the sending. We are the sent. Got to live as the sent. But somewhere in between verse 41 and 42, there's a disconnect. For some of us, there is a believing of the gospel, but there's a lack of engaging the community of Christ on mission together with purpose. I'm not, I'm not, this is not an attempt to belittle or discourage or to feel guilt right now, so just hear me very clearly. This is not about making you feel guilty. I just want to show you in this text and then encourage you to take a step from verse 41 to 42. We need to hear this. God has been doing this in our church. He's been working with us, right? We have a, a percentage of our people who are in missional communities. They meet on Wednesday nights. And they're, they're intentionally engaging their neighbors. They're intentionally moving into the community, some with projects that were focused on people, and some with just people, focused on people. But not everybody in our community is engaged in this. Not everybody is participating. We've believed the gospel. You are a child of God. You are saved by grace through faith. I'm not saying that if you're not in a missional community, you're not a Christian. Hear me very clearly. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you have believed. Now step into verse 42. 41. So those who received his word were baptized. They were added to the day about 3,000 souls. In verse 42, they devoted themselves to each other. Somewhere in there, there's a disconnect. Something is keeping us from 42. Maybe we just scared to do it. Maybe the idea of, of joining together in a community and, and taking that step out, it's just it's, it's scary, right? Because maybe we have our own sufferings, our own things, our own blockades in our own minds that we, we just don't want to confess. We're not ready to get over. We're still suffering through. And we're suffering through in a silo. But it's, it's scary. Some of us have tried it. Right? We've, we've, we've tried this missional community thing and it just didn't seem like it was for us. It wasn't producing what we thought it was going to produce. Maybe your life is just overbooked. You pull your schedule out and there's something every hour of every day. There's no margins to try this, this and to step into 42. Maybe you're just apathetic about it. Just, I don't really care. Like, I got my salvation card and I'm ready to go. I'm here to encourage you to take the step, not to condemn you or call you out. I hope you hear that. As we continue to develop this, this church in this city, in Durham, I am praying that by the end of 2017, we'll have six missional communities. We currently have two. That will mean that the percentage of us that are participating right now can't do it alone. Everyone in here needs to be on board. Everyone listening on Facebook, everybody who catches this later on the website, we need you to jump on board and join us in missional communities because your story matters. Your story might be the story, the testimony that changes someone's heart that God uses to save a soul. And if you're not there, they got to listen to mine and mine's boring. I'm just kidding. I can use mine too. But I mean... You hear what I'm saying? Like, your story, your testimony, your gifts, your talents, your passions are essential to what God has to do in the city 
We can't do it without you. We need you. What could help you take this step into that community? What, what, do you need, what do you need to go back to? What do you need to figure out in order to be brave enough or, or just to clear your schedule and say, I'm going to do it, I'm going to go at it, just to be bold? What, what, is that, what do we need to do? I'm going to tell you that we've already learned what we need to do. We've got to go back to verse 41. Right? Because more spiritual to-do list is not going to help you engage in community on mission or with purpose. You've got to go back to the gospel. It is the gospel that formed the first missional communities. It is the gospel that leads us to love and to be devoted to one another. It is the gospel that we've got to dive deep into. We can't move beyond it. We've got to get deep into it. We've got to get a new grasp on what Jesus is all about. It's the gospel. Jesus' devotion to us is the antidote for our, our flakiness or our laziness when it comes to this. Our fear. If you've, wherever you sit, whether you've tried it, it's too hard, you don't want to try it yet, you, whatever the scenario is, think about Jesus and his devotion to you and then make your decision about stepping into 42. When you were distant and you wanted nothing to do with Jesus, he still prayed for you. As a matter of fact, Jesus prays for you right now. In our failures, in our struggles, Jesus is for us. When you're weak and you continue to rebel, he was patient with you. When you sin and, and have too much shame and can't forgive yourself, Jesus forgive you, forgives you. His gospel, his devotion to, to you should stir up the devotion and the commitment to be on mission and on purpose together. He must be more than a story. He, the gospel has got to be more than just a list of facts. It's got to be something that moves your heart day in and day out. Because that is what will motivate you to take the risk to go out, to open up the circle of wagons, right? To, to, to break off this inward focus to go outward. It's the gospel that will change your heart. Not anything I say, not anything I preach. You've got to go back to the gospel and dive in. His love, his actions on our behalf, his devotion to save us must lead us to sacrifice ourselves for others. He, his gospel, his devotion over, to overcome sin must lead us to be vessels of forgiveness in our community. His devotion to overcome brokenness and our disrupted relationships with God and others must be the motivation of the source that we, of our devotion to move missionally into broken places around us and into relationships. We must see our neighbors through the same eyes that Jesus sees his eyes. We've got to see the people of this city through the eyes of Christ, not through a pamphlet, a booklet, or a Bible study. We've got to see them through the eyes of Christ. So what? What do I want you to do? This is what I want you to do. I want you to take a step, right? A simple step, a step of faith. Number one, if you haven't even engaged verse 41, I want you to take a step of faith and trust Jesus today. Right? I mean, that's where we start. Know that Christ was sent for you. Know that Christ faced the cross for you. Know that his grace is sufficient for you. And that he has a desire to save you from the penalty of your sin. We have all sinned and fallen short. Believe, repent, and be saved. That's the first step. For those of you who have already taken the first step into verse 41, I want you to take the step into 42. 
right? I want you to join one of our two missional communities. It's very simple. If you're not participating in one yet, I want you to join one of the ones we got going, right? What we are focusing on might not be your passion, and I get that. I understand that. But it will give you a good look at what a missional community can be, and then when you are prepared to start another one around your passion and call other people to join you, you'll be more equipped to do it. It won't be just an idea. You'll be ready to roll. Join us. So right now we have two missional communities. One is focused on impacting people who are afflicted by poverty. We meet every other Wednesday night at 6.30. We have dinner. We hang out. We strategize. We're planning. We're learning about the realities of poverty. That it's not just a lack of, of wealth, but it's psychological. It's emotional. It's structural. There's so much to it. We're learning about that so that we can, in an educated way, impact our city and love others. Empower people who are in poverty. Not come and save them. Right? The other group meets every Wednesday night and their focus is their neighbors, disconnected singles and disconnected couples in the community. And they're getting together and they're having great fellowship. They're playing games together, having game nights, family game nights. Who doesn't need a break from their week to go play a cool game, right? Hang out, there you go. I mean, look at the Facebook page of some of the people who are in this mission community. There's this mouthpiece that they put in where you see their teeth and their lips don't touch. And I think they play a game where they try to say words with it, right? I mean, it looks like a lot of fun. And maybe your neighbor who's not interested in Jesus at all will come and see that community. And it'll start to stir up something. And God would use the testimonies of the people that are there to change their lives. So right now, those are your two options, right? Just take a step one into 41, believe, repent, and be baptized, right? Be saved by the grace of God. Number two, step into community. And number three, if you're already in a missional community, thank you. I want you to, to take an honest assessment of your community. Are you focused on projects or on people? People first. Always people first. Those are the three steps. Take an honest assessment, believe in the gospel, or join a missional community. Outside at our next step table, there are two sheets of paper. One says poverty, one says disconnected singles and couples. Put your name and your email address down. Someone in that mission community will contact you. You are not committing to coming every Wednesday. You're not committing to anything, but you're showing your interest to take that next step of faith to learn more about what they're doing and then come join them. We need to know which one you're interested in. So put your name down if you're not in a missional community. That's the challenge. I honestly believe that this church will not grow unless we are out in our city engaging people with the gospel. The, the days of people coming to church for Jesus are, are coming to an end. They can sit on their couches at home and watch any preacher you can name on the internet. They can sit and listen to podcasts and be perfectly fine being isolated in their own selves. If we want to be a powerful movement of God in this city, changing this city for the glory of God with the people of God, we've got to go outside of ourselves. We can't wait for them to come here. That's why this is not the most important thing we do. It's very important, but it's not the most important. This is the locker room. It's in the game. This is not the field of play. The field of play is in your living room. The field of play is at your workspace. The field of play is in your neighborhood. At a local organization that we partner with to love the people there. That's the field of play. That's where the people of God are moving for the purpose of God. 
We come here to re-encourage ourselves. This is not the main event. And people are not going to come here unless we go out and share the gospel with them. Join a missional community. Let's pray.